Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, once again, we had some technical difficulties uh, in rec uh, recording our Bible study this past Sunday, uh, so I'm kind of doing it as a post-process once again. Uh, but nevertheless, if you'd like to follow along, uh, please open your Bibles uh, to Genesis chapter 4, and we'll be in verses 16 through 19. The title of our lesson today is The Two Families. Uh, this will be a two-part lesson. We'll cover part one today, and of course, We'll cover part two next week. Now, as we come to this part of the fourth chapter of Genesis and even into the fifth chapter, we are going to find the earliest story uh, of the civilization uh, of mankind. Scripture here is documenting how the first society, the first civilization, was actually established on the earth. Now, as we know later on, the flood will come and, and is going to wipe out all traces of this civilization, leaving only eight people to rebuild it. Therefore, really the only history we have of what's known as the antediluvian, which means the pre-flood society, is found here in Genesis 4 and 5. And what we find here is, is no grunting, snorting, bent-over Neanderthal chewing on raw flesh. Uh, men and women were created uh, in the image of God, and as such, uh, they originally were more capable, uh, skilled, healthier, smarter, stronger than any human being that we've probably ever met. Now, this civilization will grow into literally billions of people by the time the flood comes and destroys them all. Yet the Holy Spirit chooses here to do something very interesting. He chooses through Scripture to document this civilization by showing the contrast between only two families, and that is the family of Cain and the family of Seth, who are, of course, both sons of Adam. Now, why would Scripture do this? Why would Scripture choose to record this period of history in this uh, unique way? Well, the reason I believe that he does that is because in Cain's descendants, we will see people caught up in progress without God. But in Seth and his family, we will see a remnant of people who continue to call upon God. So these two families represent the two strands of people uh, that shape human history, and they are the worldly and the godly. That was true then, and, and it's still true uh, today. So from the very beginning, from God's perspective, there have really only been two families in the world, and that's the secular family and the sacred family. And Cain and Seth model these for us. Cain models secular culture, Seth sacred. Uh, Cain, the materialistic society. Seth, a spiritual society. Cain, those who rebel against God, Seth, those who worship God. So in the end, uh, what was true pre-flood is also true post-flood. Uh, you're either in one of these two families. You're either a Cainite or a Sethite. You're a rebel or a worshiper, a believer or an unbeliever. And so again, in these chapters, what we're seeing the Holy Spirit do and what we're seeing God do is simply divide all of humanity pre-flood the way that all of humanity post-flood is divided. And these two families, of course, will coexist on the planet until the end of history. Now, 
Our, our narrative begins in verses 16 through 24, where we will cover or trace the line of Cain. And it's a, it's a very interesting thing about what happens to Cain. Here is this man who murders his brother, uh, has no remorse, has no sign or hint of repentance, turns his back on God in angry defiance. And what happens to him? Well, what we'll see is that he actually prospers. Cain's lineage will take the lead in producing cities and music, uh, tent making, animal husbandry, uh, weapons and agricultural, agricultural implements. In short, they will take the lead in building civilization. Now, we, we might ask, well, now, why would this be so? Why would the ungodly prosper in this way? Well, maybe it was their way of coping with a life without God. If you think about it, maybe since they had no spiritual life, they put all their focus into material things. Maybe uh, because they have no joy or happiness or satisfaction on, on the spiritual side, maybe they have tried to enhance their life to get some semblance of joy or happiness or satisfaction out of material things. Or maybe, just maybe, it's God's judgment. Maybe God gives them exactly what they want. So they want the secular. So he says, okay, here you go, take it and go prosper in it. And in doing so, they're moving further and further and further away from him. But whatever the case, we cannot miss the lesson here. Psalms 127.1 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. We'll talk more about this in part two next week. But in the end, this what they produce materialistically and secularly is all that they're going to have and all that they ever will have. Their prosperity may be great, but it's an illusion. It's empty. In the end, instead of seeing their prosperity as a blessing from God that draws them to Him, their riches and prosperity push them even further and further away from God, which, by the way, uh, we're taught in the New Testament is always the danger and the judgment of prosperity and riches apart from God. So let's begin in verse 16 by looking at the family of Cain. Verse 16 says this, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, as we, we mentioned this, I think, last week, but I want to mention again, this, of course, is God's judgment, but it's also exactly what Cain wants. He, he wants absolutely nothing to do with God. He didn't want forgiveness. There was no desire for God in his heart, so he turns his back on God. And in fact, in verses 17 through 24, we will see no mention of God at all. Verse 17, so Cain knew his wife. Now let's stop right here and go ahead and answer the question that everyone always asks. And that is, where did Cain get his wife? There's probably not another woman mentioned in Scripture that has caused uh, more confusion among Christians than Cain's wife. Everybody wants to know, well, who was she? Where did she come from? Well, the answer, it turns out to be very, very simple. But before I give you the answer, let's first look at the wrong answer. 
if you were to go out to Google and just Google uh, where is, uh, you know, who is King's wife or where did King's wife come from, you will find some people will try and say that there was another race of people on the earth, that somehow we don't know where they came from, you know, uh, what the deal was, but there's another race of people and Cain took his wife from this other race of people. But the Bible clearly, clearly negates that. 1 Corinthians 15.45 says, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. So we know that Adam was the first man. Genesis 3.20 says, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And of course, in uh, Acts 17.26, and it says, And he, talking about God, made from one man, talking about Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Well, there you go. Adam's the first man. Eve is the mother of all living. He made from Adam, of course, using Eve, uh, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. In other words, according to Scripture, every person that has ever lived on this planet is a descendant of Adam and Eve. There is no other race. God made them all from Adam and Eve, every person. So this would have to include Cain's wife. She is a descendant of Adam and Eve. Now, this is why the answer to the question, where did she come from, turns out to be extremely simple. Because if you start with only two people, someone is going to marry their sister. It's inevitable. It's the only answer. There is no other way. So we know that Cain would have had to have married his sister. Now, possibly, possibly he could have married a niece, maybe one of his brother's daughters, but uh, but even then, his brother would have had to marry uh, a sister, right? So somebody, if you start with two people, again, it's inevitable, uh, necessary, the only answer that uh, the sons of Adam would have had to have married their sister. Now, where this kind of brings some people up short is because a lot of people think that Cain and Abel were the only children of Adam and Eve at the time that Cain killed Abel, okay? And what we did uh, Sunday morning is we did a little, uh, we talked a little bit about a brain, about our brain and how our brain works. And um, I think we'd all agree that the human brain uh, is an amazing uh, thing. I, I don't know, for example, if you knew this, but did you know that uh, you can take any word in a sentence and you can scramble all the letters up as long as you leave the first letter and the last letter in the right place. You can scramble all the middle letters up and your brain will read it just like it was spelled correctly. You can take all the vowels in a word and replace them with numbers and just leave the consonants and your brain will still read it. The, the brain is an amazing thing because it's designed to anticipate. It's designed to fill in missing information. And that, and that can be a really cool thing when you're doing brain teasers. But it's not a good thing when you are reading the Bible because that's what we do. We, we tend to read and fill in information that's not really uh, there. Let me give you an example. Genesis 4, 1 through 2 says this. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. 
Now, we read that as Eve had Cain, then immediately got pregnant again, and she had another boy, and she named him Abel. But from the text, the only thing you can be absolutely certain of is the birth of Abel followed the birth of Cain. Um, see, the Bible doesn't anywhere indicate whether Abel was the very next child born. It just says she got pregnant again and she had a boy. Now, he is obviously the next male child of great significance. And, and he may very well have been the second born. But we can't be certain. Um, therefore, when, when, when somebody asks the question, isn't it really just an assumption that Abel was the second child born to Adam and Eve? The answer is absolutely yes. We just assumed that. There could have been other sons and daughters born before him. And the Bible just doesn't tell us about him. See, what the Bible is doing is he's telling us about Cain and he's telling us about Abel because they're the two significant characters that are going to be involved in this story. There could have been uh, other daughters uh, born between them, could have been other sons born between them, and the Bible um, is just leaving them out because they're not significant in any way. Now, for the sake of argument, let's assume for the moment that Abel was the second-born child, and then he's killed, okay? Now, the next time we hear about a child being born is in, is in Genesis 4.25. It says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Now, we know from Scripture that this happened when Adam was 130 years old. Genesis 5.3, When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Now, once again, if you're not careful, you may read this as Seth is Adam and Eve's third child. But Scripture certainly does not say that. Now, once again, he is obviously a significant male child. In fact, Christ himself will be born from his lineage. But all Scripture tells us is that Seth was given as a replacement for Abel. That was the words of Eve. So it's obviously reasonable to infer that he was the first son born after Abel's death. Okay? But keep in mind, Cain and Abel had been alive for many years by the time Abel died. Nothing in Scripture precludes there being daughters and, and, and possibly even other sons born before Seth. In fact, put it this way. Seth is born when Adam and Eve are 130. Now, 130 years is a long time to only have three children. That would be one child every roughly 43 years. Now, keep in mind, a lot of different things. We're told Cain, uh, Cain was a farmer and Abel was a herder, which would require some level of maturity. They weren't toddlers. Are we to believe that Adam and Eve would have stopped having children and would have had no other offspring while Cain and Abel were, were growing up? Isn't it more reasonable to think that they would have continued to fulfill the Lord's mandate to be fruitful and multiply? After all, as the first two humans, they possess virtual genetic perfection. Uh, Eve would have obviously been very fertile. There wouldn't have been anything wrong with her reproductive uh, system. Um, and as somebody mentioned in the class, there's no TV. There's nothing else to do. There's no contraception. And we are to believe that only three children are born in 130 years. That, that just doesn't make much sense. 
In fact, let me give you an example. Let's say Cain was born very shortly, let's say within a year after they were kicked out of the garden. Then let's say conservatively that Eve has a child every five years. So Abel comes along five years later, assuming he's the second child. Now let's say that when Abel dies, Cain is 125. He could have been 120, could have been 110, could have been 90. We don't know, but let's just assume he was 125. If that's the case, Eve would have had 25 pregnancies, one every five years by that time. Now we know from Scripture, Genesis 5-4, that other sons and daughters were born to Adam and Eve besides Cain, Abel, and Seth. Now, you may say to me, well, now Derek, isn't this just speculation? None of that's in the Bible. You're, you're right, it is just speculation. But the fact is, it's not only likely, it's necessary that daughters were born to Adam and Eve before Abel died. Because again, where would Cain get his wife? Every, every person on the planet comes from Adam and Eve. So Cain has to get his wife from one of his uh, Adam's daughters. There's just no way around it. In fact, in fact, he very well had probably already married his wife when Abel died. In, in Scripture, you'll notice that she is mentioned almost immediately after the death of Abel. The scripture never says that Abel went to another land and took a wife. It doesn't say that. Read verses 16 and 17 again. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the land of Nod, and he knew his wife. See, that reads, he, if, if she, that would have been exactly true if he would have took her uh, with him when he left uh, his, his mother and father. When he left the presence of God, he takes her with him, and then he knows her, and she conceives a child in the land of Nod. So, once again, Cain absolutely, necessarily had to have married a sister. And again, since the entire human race came from an original pair, this would have been unavoidable. Now, another problem we have, of course, with that, and the reason we may not want to go down that road is because we believe that is incest. But keep in mind that in those early years, there are no laws or commands against marrying uh, close kin, such as sisters or nieces or cousins. Abraham married his half-sister Sarah. Isaac married his cousin Rebecca. Jacob married uh, cousins Leah and Rachel. It wasn't until God gave the law of Moses that he gave the Torah that he established laws forbidding a man from marrying close kinfolk such as a sister or a niece. And you can read that in Leviticus uh, chapter 18. But before that time, it was not forbidden. You see, Adam and Eve, if you remember or, and keep this in mind, are created with a perfect gene pool. I mean, their bodies are absolutely perfect. They, 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 they live over 900 years, right? So... So there's no mutation of cells like cancer or anything like that. Genetics would only begin to degenerate with the entrance of sin and the passing of the generations. So Adam and Eve's children would have had very few, uh, if any at all, imperfect genes. Any defects that would occur from marriage within families would not begin to appear until later generations. So the danger of genetic damage by intermarriage 
between brothers and sisters was just not an issue uh, in those early days. So Cain marries his sister. And, and just a quick note, uh, she is not just a woman. She's not just a sex partner. She is his wife, which indicates to us that even early on, uh, even amongst the ungodly, there was an understanding of the legality and the formality of marriage. Let's read verse 17 in full. So Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Now, the name Enoch means to commence, to initiate, to inaugurate, or to dedicate. You're going to see this name used several times throughout the Old Testament, at least four times uh, in Genesis alone. And it, the name seems to fit a son who is viewed by the family as the commence, commencement or the beginning or the initiation of a next generation. So Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch and he, when he built a city. Now, here we have a rather startling statement. <clears throat> First of all, why in the world was Cain building a city? If you'll remember, God told him that you will spend your life wondering. You'll be a hobo, a, a vagabond. But this just shows the arrogance and the disobedient heart of Cain. He didn't really care what God had said, didn't like what God had said, so he decides to do exactly what he wants to do. So in an effort to mitigate the curse, he settles in the land of Nod and sets out to build a city. He's, he's cursed to be a wanderer, but yet he settles down and he builds a city. Now, when we think of cities, we think of places like Los Angeles or New York but, but city is a, is a general Hebrew word that basically means a walled-in place. It could be any size, large or small, uh, something that we might call a fort. They would have called a, a city. It's just a, a, a collection of dwellings surrounded by a wall. For example, uh, I read somewhere that even in David's day, uh, the great city of Jerusalem, the city of David, uh, took up a whole 10 acres. So, that, so cities then uh, could be large or they could be just a small collection of dwellings surrounded by a wall built for protection. Now that, by the way, brings up another point. You'll remember God had put a mark on Cain in order to protect him. But Cain doesn't trust that, doesn't trust God, doesn't, doesn't want to do it his way. Once again, he's going to do it his own way. So he says, I'm going to settle down, I'll build a city, I'll surround it with walls, and I'll protect myself. But the language here indicates that some way he wasn't successful. Look, look at verse 17 again. Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Now, in that day, this just wasn't done. The city or village or house or estate, whatever a man built, was always named after the man who owned it and was responsible for it. It, it signified your authority. It signified your, your rule. Uh, for example, in 2 Samuel 5, 9, it says David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. In fact, there's a, second, there's a story in 2 Samuel 12 where David's general, uh, his lieutenant, a man named Joab, um, had, had come against the city. And he was getting ready to go in and conquer the city. And he, and he sends a messenger to David. Uh, in 2 Samuel 12, 28, it says this. He says, Now therefore, David, gather the rest of the people together and camp against the city and capture it. 
for I will capture the city myself, and it will be named after me. So cities were always named after the one who captured it, the one who built it, uh, the one who had authority over it. But you see, Cain didn't name the city after himself, which leads us to believe that somehow this that he was cursed with being this restless vagabond. And no matter how he tried to mitigate that curse, no matter how he tried to lessen that curse, in the end he wasn't successful at it, and he had to, to acknowledge that this was the city of his son, that his son would have authority and rule over this city and not himself. So here you have the beginning of urbanization, uh, the beginning of culture, developing. And this has only happened in three generations, Adam, uh, Cain, and now his grandson Enoch, and they're already building a society. Verse 18, to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujel, and Mahujel fathered Methushel, and Methushel fathered Lamech. Now, I want you to understand, first of all, this doesn't mean uh, that these are the only children born. Again, the Bible is just concerned mainly with significant children. These are just the firstborn in the sequence of generations. Now, there are lots of other children being born. Adam and Eve are still having children. Their children are having children. Cain and his wife are having more children, and their children are having children. So the earth is being rapidly uh, populated. But once again, the Holy Spirit has ordained that scripture follow the history of only two families. And here we're following the firstborn of Cain's lineage. And in the seventh generation, his lineage seems to climax with, the, uh, with a man named Lamech. Now, Lamech steps on the stage, and he is the prototype of the Cainite man. In other words, when it comes to the type of man produced by a society without God, Lamech is that man. Therefore, Scripture goes out of its way here in the seventh generation to tell us more about this man. And the first thing that we see about him in verse 19 is this, And Lamech took two wives. Now, I want to stop right here for a second and compare this statement with what evolutionists tell us about men and women and sex and marriage. You see, evolutionists tell us that man evolved from a grunting Neanderthal, uh, a caveman, who committed sexual acts like a dog in heat with as many women as he could in order to procreate the race, like he was an animal. Then as time went by, he evolved into monogamy. But see, that's not what Scripture teaches at all. The original design of God at creation was monogamy. One man, one woman for life. But it doesn't take long, only a few generations, for man to cease to be monogamous, as illustrated by Lamech. Here we are in only the seventh generation from Adam. And by the way, Adam is still alive to see it all. In fact, he sees everything right up to the birth of Noah. Now, this doesn't mean that Lamech was the only polygamist or bigamist. It just means that he was one. Scripture is just showing us where the line of Cain leads. I mean, this, this is what Scripture, this is what all this is about in these verses, is that 
This is where it leads, a society without God, a society, a society that turns its back on God, a family that turns its back on God. This is where it goes. This is where a society without God will take you. Now remember, God hasn't made a lot of laws at this point, hadn't said a whole lot of things. But I can tell you one thing he did say was that marriage was designed to be between one man, one woman, leaving their parents, cleaving together, one flesh for life. Verse 19 again, And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Now we don't know much about these women other than their names. Uh, Ada means something like ornament, and Zillah uh, is a word that has to do with a sweet-sounding voice. So he marries pretty and sweet voice, which is you know not, not a lot to go on. It's pretty thin in telling us anything about their character. But we may ask the question, why would he do this? Why would he take two wives? Well, we don't know. We don't know. But in that day and time, more wives would have meant more children. More children meant you could get more work done. More work meant more was produced. More that was produced means more wealth. More wealth means more power. Maybe that was the reason. Whatever the reason, what we do know is the institution of marriage was changed to satisfy human desires. So what this is showing us here is that Lamech is not only a rebellious person in the way of Cain, he's actually taking it to the next level. And as we'll see next week, he will lead Cain's family, now in the seventh generation, into an open rebellion.